This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, good afternoon and welcome to Enterprise Biz Bites on this grey and drizzly afternoon here. I'm Roshan Kanesan, joined in the studio by the ever-present... Richard Bradbury. Yes, I left you a little bit hanging there. I couldn't decide whether I was going to introduce you or let you introduce yourself. Oh, well, thank you very much. Ever Keeping present. you on your toes, you did, Rich. It, it's been one of those mornings already. I've you been know, on my toes all yeah, morning. It's yeah. grey, uh-huh. you know. You know, It's a sense that maybe Where are you going my with nap. Are you, are you, are you, are you mocking sleeping? my hair? Is that what you're doing? No? Nope, didn't say that. Ah, good. Just, so, just checking. Just checking. <laughs> you know what else we're checking today? What's that? It is three weeks away from Budget Rich. Oh, I'm so excited. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of talk around so many different things. I mean, I can see the excitement on your yes. face. You're practically bouncing that's off it, your seat it. today. Yeah, yeah. Um, and with Budget 2024 being three weeks away, there's bound to be a lot of conversations happening. Uh, and tax reform, one way or another... There's always something that comes up during this time, especially given concerns over our budget deficit, which was uh, 5.6% of GDP during the last budget. Mm. Now, while we talk about tax reform, there is no escaping the topic of whether the goods and services tax will make a comeback. It's like Christmas. It's here every year. Yes, yes, yes. And while there has been a lot of chatter around the implementation of GST, uh, the Prime Minister and Finance Minister, uh, Minister Datuk Sri Anwar Ibrahim, has made note that other things uh, must be done before we bring it back. like subsidy rationalisation. And on a similar note, Deputy Finance Minister Stephen Sim recently also noted that the timing isn't quite right for GST to make a comeback. So while the government doesn't seem quite keen on it right now, Anwar did say to Bloomberg that GST is the most efficient and transparent tax system. So it might be only a matter of time before it becomes uh, comes back, given that over 170 other countries have introduced a consumption tax. Mm-hmm. So today on Enterprise Business Bites, you'll hear from Dinesh Khanna, Executive Director at Tratex, about the likelihood of GST coming back and how best to prepare for it as a business. But also, more importantly, get into things like the differences between GST and the sales and service tax Mm. or the SST that replaced it and more pressing tax issues that businesses should keep in mind as we head into the next budget and really importantly, as we head into the last quarter of 2023. Yes, you heard us right. The last quarter of 2023 is almost here. If you have any thoughts on this, you can WhatsApp us on our U-Mobile number at 018-789-8899 or you can reach us on X at BFM Radio. Dinesh, welcome to the show. How are you feeling today on this greyish morning, uh, afternoon? Start of the week, positive. I like your attitude. You are bringing in a very positive vibe. Um, so, Dinesh, maybe we can start off by giving us a sense of why GST always seems to be a key talking point <laughs> when it comes to tax reform and the annual budget every year without fail. Yeah, I think a few reasons. One is uh, GST is a topic that everyone um, at least thinks that they understand. Um, um, <laughs> you know, it's like... It's like, it's like um, it's the size of GST is like an elephant. I'll say that first. It's 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 not one of the granular things in tax. Oh, I give a one-off tax relief or a tax incentive. Or you do a reinvestment allowance. Public at large are not mm. concerned about it. But you talk about GST, politicians have a view. The technocrats have a view. The consumer has a view. The industry champions have a view. So every, the size of GST is so big. The impact is so intertwined, interrelated, that everyone has something to to gain or loss or something to say, something to ponder. So it gets an exciting talking point every other time. Mm, mm. Yeah. Everybody has an opinion. Yeah. And you know what they say about opinions, right? Uh, but when, when GST <laughs> was abolished, we had SST come in, right? 
Uh, and for those folks at home who might still even be a little confused, but and as you say, everybody thinks they know the answer, but don't necessarily. How does SST differ from GST, and why isn't it enough in terms of government revenue? Okay, so um, there are a lot of differences between GST and SST. If I were to give a very um, technical answer first, um, GST is a multi-stage tax system, which means that by default, in an ideal GST system, in a full-blown GST model, we call it, everyone, every industry player should be in the system, and then you have your outputs, inputs, so everyone is in. Ah. Whereas SST is a single-stage tax. GST is multi-stage, SST is single-stage. Single-stage tax means only manufacturers and certain service providers are in scope. So that's a very technical answer, but a more practical answer to that would be GST gave us revenue last known $44 billion. SST gave us last known um, $31 billion, a ringgit, of course, $44 mm-hmm. billion ringgit and $31 billion ringgit. And um, how many businesses were registered collecting and paying these taxes? That also has to be taken into account in comparison, right? So in GST era, we had about half a billion, half a million businesses, uh, 500,000 businesses, 480-something, you know, close to 500,000 businesses that were registered and submitting their quarterly or monthly returns and paying these taxes mm-hmm. due to the government. In SST, guess, guess what that number is? I dread to think. 100,000. Below that. Wow. Wow. Yeah, we have about just over 70,000 businesses. What accounts for that great difference there? Okay, so your retailers are out of the chain. Mm. So if you talk about goods, your retailers are out of the chain. Mm. If you talk about services, we are taxing much narrower group of services. A lot of service providers are out of the scheme. And another very big sector is the property sector, which is not in the sales or service tax regime, but were there in the GST regime, property and construction. So this accounts for the change or the difference in government Mm. revenue that GST provided the government versus SST? Is that part of the equation there? Yeah. 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 So, and also the tax rates, just to complete that. Ah, yes. So the but GST was at six percent. SST is at six percent as well, is it not? So SST has two legs to it: uh, sales and services. Services are at six percent. Um, so if you go to a fast food chain, you still see the same see the same six percent between GST and service tax. It's largely indifferent. But if you go to a supermarket and buy products off the shelf, so that's goods. So we don't charge service tax on it. We only charge sales tax. Mm. The sales tax rate is 10% by Mm. default. Uh, But the 10% is only charged, as I said at the very beginning, the technical difference between GST and sales tax is sales tax is a single stage tax at the manufacturer level. GST, on the other hand, applies across the board. So GST, effectively, effectively, you have a 6% on the retail price. Sales tax, you have 10% on the factory price. So, um, uh, so depending sales tax is on the business side of things. When it comes out the factory, it's imposed on the sale price to the retailer? Um, to the distributors. Distributor. But it's still a consumption tax. Mm. It's still a consumption tax. It's just that... Much earlier in the value chain. Uh, much earlier in the value chain. And in, in a way, you can say some academics would argue it's less transparent mm. than, than GST. Um, and, and, and that whole um, difference there, yeah. So instead of reverting, so obviously there's a lot of conversations about how do we improve the taxation system, generate more revenue for the government, uh, and all of those other things. So instead of reverting back to GST, then can you give us a view on whether the current SST system can be improved in order to improve government revenue? Yes, uh, there's a lot that can be. Um, th- this is a very good um, um, thought process, I would say, because um, 
um, if we were to introduce GST, right, I think the first question in everyone's mind is, uh, if and when we were to introduce it, what at what rate do we introduce it? Right. And I've seen a lot of news articles where people's opinion has been, why don't we introduce at a 4% and then slowly grow from there? Sounds perfect from um, from a conceptual point, from an intuition point. But if you really take your calculator for a minute, um, um, Roshan, I need your help on All this. Right. I've, audience. Got, I've got my calculator out. <laughs> yes. Audience also. We should, Aud- be, we should be streaming this live via, you know, <laughs> next time, next time. X or something. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Okay. Thanks okay. starts with Tinesh. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so it's a very simple calculation. I'm not going to have a very complex econometrics model or whatnot. So <laughs> the last known revenue from GST is 44 billion. So mm-hmm. audience also, if you are convenient to reach a calculator, do this, do this for yourself, DIY, so that, uh, you know, you can be a tax well, expert. Tax, tax, you, I've you, got it. You've got a calculator ready. I've got it with okay, me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So okay. And put 44. 44 billion. What's 44 billion? That's the 2017 GST revenue. Mm-hmm. So that, that was at 6%, right? So yeah. let's just divide that figure by 6. So whatever figure that you see in, the, in your screen, that's the, te- that's the tax collection at 1%. So if you were to introduce GST at 4%, as, as some has opined, multiply that by 4. So what, 29 billion? 29 billion. But if you introduce GST, you got to do away with SST. SST is already giving us 31 billion. Mm. So that's at a net loss situation mm, mm. to begin with. So if you were to introduce GST at a rate that's lower than 6%, you There's may no not point. make an incremental revenue. And the impact of GST is you're going to tax on more goods. Yeah. So what you're going to do is you're going to reduce the tax rate from 6% or 10% to, um, say, 4% on some goods and hope mm. that price reduction cascades down on this less essential goods. Mm. And you're going to expand the scope of goods that are taxed to cover more essential while you leave the most essential still zero rated in GST. Mm. So that's going to lead to... a very complex situation. Right. And they may not, at 4%, there may not be revenue, incremental revenue to government. Of course, some will say that it didn't issue 2017 figure, so the GDP would have increased by then. Mm. Correct. But mm. this is a very simple calculation and this not, need not be an overestimation because even though it's 2017 figure, uh, it is before deducting some of the refunds of GST that were made in 2018, 2019 and so on. Mm. So if you deduct that, that figure could be lower and, and this whole thing can still come back to a similar outcome. So um, 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 what I'm saying is that if we were to introduce GST, we have to do it properly at the right rate where the social contract is right, where the businesses are prepared, the industry is prepared. And uh, that may take time. In the meantime, we have to improve our current SST system um, to reduce revenue leakages and to also address some of the industry problems. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you an example. Say... I'm a I'm an MNC. I invest in Malaysia. I export all of my outputs. Whatever I produce, I export it. Um, and my product happened to be an exempt product, but it has no relevance because I don't sell it to the Malaysian market. So when you when you sell an export uh, exempt product, when you imp- when you import the materials, you have to use a specific type of exemption, and that exemption then constrains you that you cannot have intermediaries in your supply chain to export goods. So this this gets a bit technical, but what I'm trying to say is that um, um, the SST should be improved to to give back businesses the flexibility. On the other hand, there are certain revenue leakages that has to be fixed as well. For example, uh, between manufacturers and their own subsidiary marketing arm, for example, Mm. the pricing for that 
there are some um, um, grey areas and grey areas are not good in tax. <laughs> <laughs> the reason is because imagine uh, Roshan, Richard, two of you. You tend to be the person who drive on, uh, let's say Roshan, you tend to be the person who drive on yellow light. Okay. Which is not necessarily wrong, if, but you know, if you make it before it turns red. And Richard is someone who's, who's a more conservative person. And then you're faced with the grey area in law. Mm. And this is not your own corporate tax com where you can take a different thing that doesn't affect. This affects your go-to-market price because this is a consumption tax. So when when a more conservative view is taken, Richard could be penalized by the market for being more expensive while mm-hmm. his profit margin yeah, could be the yeah. same as you. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Roshan, you might be thinking you're doing all good, but... Until the knock on the door. Yes, and then that... Knock, knock. Who is that? LHDN. <laughs> LHDN is fine because they are, oh. uh, they are a percentage of your profit. Customs is customs. is on your cost structure, you know. So I've seen customs audit, one audit that covers two years that wipes off 13 years of profit. Wow. So it's not good for both of you because Richard, as a more conservative person, could be penalized immediately by the market with a, because of his conservative positions and hence a more expensive pricing. While uh, Roshan, you might be thinking you're doing well, but when customs <laughs> knock off, they could just wipe off the entire thing. So there are a lot of these uncertainties that can be tapped on and cleared. Service tax side, also there are a lot of un- uh, there are, there are, there are areas that clarity is needed. For example, we say that warehouse management is subject to service tax, but logistics management is not subject to service tax. And where do you draw this? And mm. this may appear to be a B2B issue, but don't forget, as a consumer, a lot of the big, uh, a sizable portion of the price that you pay is for logistics and related services. So it comes back to that, yeah. Dinesh, we've got more to get into, which we will do in just a bit, including um, what GST could look like if it did come back and the kind of implications on business practices, but more importantly, more pressing tax issues that businesses should keep in mind as we head into the next budget and the last quarter of the year. Folks, you've been, this is Enterprise BizBytes. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Beyond Frivolous Mishmash, BFM 89.9. Hey, folks, welcome back to Enterprise Biz Bites. I'm Roshan Gunnison with Richard Bradbury, and that was Alanis Morissette with Hand in My Pocket. Today on the show, we're exploring GSD and how best to prepare for it if it does come back. And more importantly, other we'll get into more pressing tax issues that are on the radar of businesses a little later on in the show, especially as we head into the next budget, which is happening in three weeks and the last quarter of the year. Uh, helping us with this conversation today in the studio with us is Tinesh Khanna. He's an Executive director. He's the executive director of Tratex. Um, Dinesh, earlier we were talking about SST and GST, the differences there, um, what accounts for the revenue differences between the two uh, systems. But also, if you if you brought back GST at a lower rate, it might not be revenue comparable. It might we might not see incremental revenue compared to our current SST collections. Um, you were giving us some implications uh, or the way SST works on the business side of things, but what about the consumer side of things? What are the implications of SST versus GST on consumers? Okay, first thing is definitely um, on the disposable income and you know, how much you're spending on the same goods and services yeah. uh, and how those prices are, are affected. Um, GST definitely has a wider scope of tax for goods the products and services um, as compared to SST. 
So that's there. And that's why sometimes when people say, why don't we introduce it at 3%, 4%? And then a few years down the road, we increase it to, say, um, 7%. And then another few years down the road to whatever rate. That may sound um, um, uh, very logical. logical to be consumer-centric. But if you really look at it from a behavioral finance perspective, that's a very dangerous thing. Mm. Because when you introduce at something like 3%, you can't be sure that the businesses will only adjust the price for 3% yeah. or they would uh, have other elements there. They might kitchen sink, for yeah, example. Then they may, when you, every time you do that few times, few years once, then you're giving... The, the, the impact felt by the consumers may not be limited by the incremental rate of tax. So that's a very important thing, um, thing how um, the, the way GST is rolled out in the future may affect a one-off rate upfront versus incremental approach. Uh, which one really works better to consumer? That has to be calculated, mm. cannot be based on intuition. Mm. Secondly, of course, SST also affect consumer choices, consumer behavior. I'll give you one simple example. Let's say your aircon breaks down at home and you call someone to repair it. You don't get charge service tax on it. But if you say someone, if you're a very proactive person, you like to get things planned out, enter into a one-year contract with uh, someone to come and service your aircon every two months or whatever fixed intervals, and suddenly that gets subject to service tax. Mm. Which are, um, uh, you, you think you're being smart by planning it for the future, but in fact you're shooting yourself in the foot, yeah. so to speak. So these are the areas where we we, we think that you know actually you can write a hundred page report <laughs> on improvements on SST, so that uh, consumer uh, are rewarded for the right behavior, right, right. Uh, for being proactive and all that, and not the other way around. Mm. At the same time, the government's revenue leakages are prevented Mm-mm. and industries are um, um, given back the flexibility. Let, let's have a think then. I mean, obviously you, you have a lot of clients. Uh, what's their kind of, uh, I guess, what's what, what's the chatter amongst your clients when it comes to this potential reintroduction of, of uh, GST? Well, it depends on who you talk to. If you talk to the manufacturers, most of them would love GST to be in yesterday because it kind of gives them back all the flexibility mm. and uh, more clear-cut paperwork and all that. If you talk to retailers, for example, and distributors, they may not be um, um, because they may not be so interested because this is an additional compliance cost for them. The, the tax flows through their supply chain. If you talk to the developers and construction companies, they were the ones who were previously in the GST regime, but now out of the regime altogether. So they may they may not be as welcoming as the manufacturers are. Um, if you talk to service providers, a lot of them back in 2018, 2019 were very excited that they go back to, they get to go back to SSD, thinking that they were going back to SSD 1.0. But mm-hmm. if you talk to the same guys today, the service providers now feel that, oops, SSD 2.0 is not the same as SSD 1.0. I think GST would be um, better so that everyone is clear that everything is taxable. So different segment of industry, manufacturers, service providers, property uh, and distributors would give you different answers to the same question. And you know, if we take it, if we take it a look back, um, what did the implementation of GST entail for businesses and business owners? Right, because there was a certain level of new processes that needed to come into play, uh, particularly when it comes to things like refunds, accounting, and even just having the right software to do it all. 
Yeah, so if you rewind back to 2014, 2015, we were in the run-up to GST. Mm. Those were very... Um, busy days. Very busy days. <laughs> we hardly got the time to catch up on sleep, to be honest. Uh, but that's also where the the gap uh, were, were breached. Um, government agencies got to understand businesses better, the sophistication of businesses. Businesses um, also got to understand each other better in, through various uh, engagement uh Um, sessions. Chambers got a lot of active uh, engagements with the customs and other other government agencies. So um, that was there. You, you rightly pointed out the issue of uh, software and the concerns around the refunds. Those were obviously there. Yeah. Mm. Was, was that the biggest concerns then back then when it was first brought in? Uh, by industry, you yeah, mean? By, by industry. industry. So for industry, yes, the software part was one. The other part was... Um, maybe the sophistication of businesses were 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 underestimated because businesses evolved to have a lot of sophisticated schemes these days for example dealers rebates are not given in a very straightforward way um there's there are dealer incentives and which are non monetary sometimes which is a trip given to an overseas destination for example when you hit certain targets so there's a lot of this uh, more sophisticated um Um, tools, incentives, cashbacks, and all those things were um, there were concerns about how how the GSC treatment worked for those and um, um, those clarity. Of course, customs was also very upfront in issuing a lot of guides, uh, but there were also some uh, flip flops which some right. businesses felt could have been handled better. So that's there, and that knowledge is there on both sides now, industry and government. But uh, maybe slightly depleted because people have changed over the years and all that. So we, we don't have to go back to ground zero to start. But at the same time, it's not something that to say that, oh, we have implemented GST last time. So now it's just, you know, press the switch and we can go live tomorrow. <laughs> it's also not going to be that simple. Certain amount of preparation has to be done uh, if we were to reintroduce GST. And what were the key pain points? Because you heard complaints from people and some of that revolved around maybe timeliness of refunds, for example, cash flow concerns. Uh, what were the key pain points from businesses during the implementation of GST 1.0? Uh, there were a lot of, um, there was quite a bit of a technical um, interpretation, misinterpretations and and, and, and those uh, sort of things. And refund was, of course, um, a, a key concern, um, key concern as well. Yeah. Uh, and if it were to come back today, or mm. whenever it would, mm-hmm. if it were to come back, how should it be done to alleviate some of those concerns and fears that business uh, businesses may have? I think, uh, first of all, from a big picture point of view, we need to decide uh, what is our priority when we implement GSD, mm. priority goals, and what are the nice-to-have goals. That's very important. Of course, revenue is definitely one of the goals. That's, that's, that's a given. But other than that, what else are we going for? Are we going for simplicity Or are we saying that we want to um, uh, we want to give more exemptions? So if you give more exemptions, for example, that's something that um, that may you know you may keep more stakeholders um, happy mm-hmm. and uh, more more you create a more regressive tax system, uh, more progressive tax system. Sorry, for the consumers and all that. But at the same time, the more exemptions you give, the more work and grey area you create for the industry players. Mm-hmm. They have to decide, is this taxable or not taxable? And if I get it wrong, I have to pay the price for it later. And any uncertainty is not good. There's another way to look at it to say, okay, we will keep things simple. We will um, 
um, go for a wider basket of um, taxable goods, but then we will have um, social welfare to offset targeted groups um, from the pain points. So that would keep things simple for industry. And of course, more engagement with chambers and uh, to the point of refund, uh, maybe uh, we should see, maybe we should have the, in the a provision in the, GS, the new GST Act, if and when, whenever that comes <laughs> in, to say that not all of the revenue collection goes to the Federal Consolidated Fund. Mm. The moment you go to Federal Consolidated Fund, then when you ask for a refund, it just becomes like an expense allocation kind of thing. You should empower the government to say a particular portion is clearly set aside for refund and only the net goes to the ministry, the Federal Consolidated Fund. So to empower customs with that um, 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 jurisdiction. Uh, Folks, we are going into a quick message before we come back. Today on Enterprise Business we've been exploring GST and how best to prepare for it if it does come back. Uh, Up next, though, more interesting things. We're going to be getting into more pressing tax issues that businesses should keep in mind as we head into the next budget and the last quarter of the year, including budget 2024 expectations as well as e-invoicing concerns. Uh, Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Break from monotony, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9. I'm Roshan Gurdison, joined by Richard Bradbury here in the studio. Uh, we've also got Tinesh Khanna, Executive Director at Tratax, who's been taking us through the what would happen if we re-implemented GST, as well as some comparisons between GST and SST. And we're doing all this because um, it's budget season. And as we get closer to the budget every year, the, t- the topic of tax reform always comes about. And you can't get away with talking about tax reform without talking about whether GST will be re-implemented. Now, it does seem that that may not be the case, given the, fa- that the fact that the Prime Minister and Finance Minister, Datuk Sri Anwar Ibrahim, uh, noted to Bloomberg earlier this week, or was it last week, that before bringing back something like GST, GST, you have to do other things first, including one of his priorities seems to be subsidy rationalization. Mm. Even uh, Deputy Finance Minister Stephen Sim said this recently, that the timing isn't right for GST. That's it, though, given how many countries have it and the if, uh, transparency of the tax system, it might just be a matter of time, which is why we were talking to Tinesh about it a little earlier. That said, though, there are more pressing things in the tax arena for businesses to keep in mind of and have on their radar. Uh, some of them include e-invoicing as well as budget 2024 expectations. So, Tinesh, um, what's on the radar of business owners? I mean, I mentioned e-invoicing and budget 2024 expectations. Is there anything else that's on the radar of business owners right no? Um, budget 2024, of course, that uh, that that itself, a um, few things are expected. Mm-hmm. One is capital gains tax. Mm-hmm. It was announced in February to be implemented by 2024. So that's, that's one thing on the radar, certainly. And the other is uh, luxury goods tax that was announced. There's been no news or follow-up on that. So a lot will look forward for 13th of October to see whether... LGT will actually be implemented in Malaysia or not, or not now, remains to be seen. The other thing is, um, well, this is a bit of a jargon, QDMTT, Qualified Domestic Minimum Top-Up Tax. <laughs> so, wow. So okay. can you say that five times in a yeah, row? Yeah. Let's hear that again. <laughs> qualified Domestic Minimum Top-Up Tax. Now, what that, what that simply means is that MNCs in Malaysia would have to make sure that the the tax that they pay is at least 15% of their, um, of their accounting profit in a 
in a and that's like a thousand page report that i simplified into one sentence but that's, that's the gist of it and one would think that hey our tax rate is 24% so what's the problem in paying at 15% but the reality is for certain certain sectors are always um, showered with exemptions mm-hmm. and not just by malaysia but also that's you can say there's a tax competition regional competition to attract fdis and um, if you're enjoying a tax holiday then you're essentially paying a 0% tax and then this has the 15% minimum top up and so on does it have anything to do with the global minimum tax that's yep. been uh right and that's 15% correct yes. so now everyone needs to pay that that top up first year they pay that 15% first yeah if if you if you're below 15% then you have to pay a top up tax what we call as qdmtt to reach the 15% and then the reason you see all this uh, jargons qualified domestic blah 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 is because if you're actually paying say say 10% and you have enough substance so for your substance which is your payroll cost and net tangible asset will give a percentage and if that can breach the gap between the tax that you're actually paying say 10% and the 15% watermark minimum then good news you don't have to pay any top up mm. so that's why it's qualified domestic minimum top up tax so it's qualified for substance based so reasons so it's not not really a global minimum 15% lah there are there are certain caveats uh, uh, here okay so 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 the first part of the sentence of course i have to disagree otherwise okay. uh, the political messaging don't, don't put him on the spot yeah, yeah the political <laughs> messaging by g20 and the world elite political leaders has always been minimum 15% minimum 15% minimum 15% but then of course that 15% does not necessarily mean actually 15 so there's always a, a definition and all that behind it so um So if you were to say the second part Summarize of this another 1000 page report into one sentence first. Okay. So we'll make sure that everyone pays 15% but in sometimes you could be actually paying less than 15 and it still can be okay. Mm. As long as you're spending a certain certain amount in the country is it? Is that that's uh, what you're talking about? Spending and invested and all that. Um. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 there's also a few other things for example if you are a conglomerate that only does manufacturing versus a conglomerate that does manufacturing of um so see you're manufacturing uh, product A and you're distributing product B you could have some inherent advantages because the 15% is not calculated by company it's mm. calculated by country mm-hmm. so all the all the companies you have in the country we add it together to calculate it so there's all those um offsets also um to justify why you why a company may be actually paying below 15 and yet not subject to a top up why does it have to be so complicated eh? because it's money and taxation right um you mentioned capital goods tax and luxury goods tax mm-hmm. um what's the chatter around uh, these two items so all the businesses thinking preparing for in that in that sense okay so um capital gains tax has a impact on the holding structure you know how you keep your holding structure and all that because the capital gain tax is not only on malaysian domestic gains it's also on foreign gains mm. made by malaysian companies so it does have an impact on holding structures which are being relooked at and so on and so forth uh more details are expected in the budget it also affect the pe space private equity space yeah. and venture capitalists and also may have an impact on number of listings ipos that we see because one way out is um if you if you make it an ipo then there's no capital gains tax there we go okay so w- w- in a sense what what can business owners on and entrepreneurs do to prepare for all of these things that may or may not be coming so capital gain tax is definitely coming huh. uh, because uh, otherwise eu will greatly blacklist malaysia from the eu checklist so that's capital gains tax 2024 
is coming. Hong Kong and Singapore has also made it very clear that they will implement in 2024. Malaysia has also made it very clear they are doing in 2024. So it's coming. It's just that granular details are not known. So speak to your consultant, uh, get your holding structure and all that uh, reviewed. So capital gains tax is almost certain, I would say. Um, LGT is a question mark, but that's more of a consumer thing and yeah. affects a certain group of T20 consumers, at least that's what we hope. <laughs> by the definition of LGT. Uh, the other thing that businesses are very um, very keen on is uh, e-invoicing. Yeah. So that has been announced in principle by the tax office LHDN. Um, uh, but the the law behind it has not been um, um, gazetted no. or, 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 or shared with public. So we expect 13 of October, the budget and the finance bill that comes with it, um, would have some some light on the e-invoicing, the law behind it and, and, and all that. And also the software development kit to link with the API uh, yeah. and all that will be um, should be out this time. So businesses should, um, um, businesses are actually many of them already in the midst of preparing for e-invoicing. Because first stage first is thing, companies above 100 million in revenue, correct? 100 million in annual revenue, yeah. 100 million in annual revenue. So first question always they're doing is, how much to budget <laughs> to put inside my annual budget for 2024 as the cost of preparing and complying with um, all of this and how much of this is a one-off cost and how much of it is a recurring cost, license fee and all of that. Um, a lot of these companies above 100 million ringgit is, um, are using ERP tools like uh, you know SAP Oracle and all that. Then the big question is, do you then directly link with the tax office API or do you, do you then use um, a middleware? to link and what are the pros and cons. Mm. And we still don't have any clarity on that at this point, correct? Um, Full clarity on, will you be able to use middleware and things like that? Yeah, you can use middleware. Okay. That's 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 okay. Is because that's a business choice to be made by the mm-hmm. by the consumers. Uh, oh, sorry, by the businesses whether they want to link direct or they want to use uh, middleware to link with API. The API linking part that that one is not fully available, but still a few preparations can already been uh, made and thought about and budgeted for and and so on. Because the business case also, you know, I've been on calls with clients who says that, hey, I think this is easy. We should be able to do it SAP. Then come back and say, oh. We just realized we are doing billing to our clients out of six systems, not one. <laughs> and then you can't get this system to talk to. Well, you can, but it's not going to be cheap to get this system to talk to each other and then push it out to tax office because um, a lot of the updates from one module of a SAP to another may not be so instantaneous. Some could be done uh. on hourly basis, daily basis, all that. So then the case for middleware, which middleware use. And then also question comes in, do you also make use of this as an opportunity to review the entire business process and make it more efficient? So you're not just preparing for the regulation, but you're also making the entire process more more efficient. And, uh, and that's a commercial case for it as well, not just a regulatory push. All right, to wrap up, Dinesh, what are the three to five key things business owners should keep in mind or should watch out for in the next few months as we head into the last quarter of 2023? So three quick fire ones. Okay, uh, this budget is going to be, um, I would expect it to be quite an eventful one. Uh, Look out for e-invoicing details. Uh, Speak to your consultants early. Uh, Be on the lookout for capital gains tax, CGT. And uh, if you are uh, globally more than $3 billion um, group, then... 3 billion ringgit or 750 million euro group, then of course, um, pillar two or the global minimum tax 15%, as you say it, uh, has, um, has a big impact. So those are the three things. Dinesh, thank you so much for your time today. Pleasure. 
Folks, we've been speaking with Dinesh Khanna. He's the executive doc- director at Tratax, and he's been helping us digest all the different tax information that's been coming out as we lead, head into the last quarter and into budget 2024. If you miss any part of this conversation, you can catch the podcast on our website at bfm.my or download the BFM app. You can also find our shows on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other podcast players. Just look up Enterprise Biz Bites. Looking up ahead, we've got the Breakfast Grill replay happening after the 1 p.m. news bulletin. Gamilang is a Johor-based manufacturer of bus body and bus assemblies and with over 30 years of experience the group has become one of the leading companies of its kind here in Malaysia. We speak with its executive director of, of Gemilang International on how the company has been transitioning from domination of diesel powered vehicles to electric vehicles. I'm Roshan Kinison with Richard Bradbury and this has been Enterprise BizBytes. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.